welcome to the Will Preach for Food podcast. I'm Doug, pastor here at Faith Lutheran Church based out of beautiful Shelton, Washington. We're a congregation of the ELCA. We're a welcoming community growing closer to and more like Jesus, making Christ known, joyfully serving each other, our neighbors, and all God's creation. You can learn more about faith at our website, www.faithshelton.org. Thanks for listening today. Let me see a show of hands. Raise your hand if you want to go to heaven after you die. Oh, I see a lot of hands up there. Well, that's great. We're going to talk about salvation today. The Bible teaches us that we're saved by God's grace apart, uh, through faith apart from works of the law. And then the Bible also talks about something else, talks about seeking the kingdom, striving and straining, obeying the commandments, and entering uh, through something called the narrow door. And it leads to the question, how does this whole salvation thing work anyway? Reminds me of the one about the Lutheran pastor who died and, much to his surprise, found himself in hell for all eternity. Looking around, he noticed Martin Luther and St. Paul huddled together. The pastor went over to the two church fathers and asked them what went wrong. Paul looked and shrugged. It was works after all, he told him. Ouch. <laughs> kind of dark humor there. But it's true in that the stakes are pretty high when we talk about salvation, aren't they? So let's talk about salvation. Let's talk about narrow doors. Let's talk about knowing Jesus. So today's podcast is called Narrow Doors, Open Futures. It is for the fifth Sunday in Lent, April 3rd, 2022, volume 3, uh, episode 11 of the Will Preach for Food podcast. Will you please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 22. We read that when Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem, and someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, um, oh, I lost my spot. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, "Sir, open the door for us." But he will answer, "I don't know where you, who you are, or where you come from." Then you will say, "We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets." But he will reply, "I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evil doers." And there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and take their places at the feast of the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Gospel of Luke, written to be an orderly account of the life and times of Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah of God, the Son of God. And here in Luke chapter 13, the Jesus tour is in full swing. He's teaching about the imminent kingdom of God, moving from town to town, getting closer and closer to Jerusalem, where things are going to get messy. But tonight it's the Tuesday night press conference and one reporter raises his hand, Lord, Lord, are there but a few who are being saved? How many will be saved? 
being saved, Jesus as the Savior for us and for our salvation. This word salvation, saving, Savior, it's such a rich word in Christian circles. And its most basic understanding, salvation has to do with healing and wholeness. Jesus went around healing people, restoring people to wholeness and health, thereby saving them. The idea of salvation has a political implication as well. It's to be rescued from the oppressor, to be liberated, to be set free. That's salvation too. And nowadays, salvation is a mostly religious or existential meaning. It's religious jargon for what happens after we die, right? And it is one way we describe the good news about Jesus. We say that Jesus saves us. That salvation is the forgiveness of sins. It's being made right with God. It's being whole, living in right relationship with all creation. Salvation is a new world order, peace on earth, the kingdom of God. Salvation is a good thing. Salvation is a good thing. And, and just for the record, I'm in favor of it. So the reporter asks a question, but exactly how many are being saved? And Jesus thanks the reporter for the question. He pauses, then addresses the whole room of reporters when he says, strive to enter in through the narrow door on account of because many will seek to enter in but not be able to. Jesus teaches us to strive through the narrow door. Now, really, that's not all that different, much different than when he says, seek first the kingdom of God, or when the Apostle Paul talks about pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on, Paul says, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. But there is a paradox here that salvation is a gift from God, that God came down to earth in the flesh and Jesus for us and for our salvation, that God is actively saving the world, saving you and me. We can't earn it. We can't force it. At the same time, we have to, there's, we have to respond. Uh, there's, it's, it's a relationship and, and we got to do something, right? Um, what do we do in response to God's salvation? The Bible tells us to strive to enter the kingdom of God through the narrow door. Somehow our response to God's salvation matters. Salvation is a free gift. We can't deserve it. We can't earn it. And at the same time, this free gift is elusive. Many seek to enter it, Jesus says, but cannot. What strikes me about this warning is how accurate a statement it is. How many times a follower of Christ falls off the path, falls short of the mark. How often do we read in the news that, that someone we thought was following Jesus is revealed to be a predator, a false actor, an evildoer, a worker of injustice? Many of you carry wounds from the sins and failings of the church, from those who are supposed to be serving God's mission. Enter, entering through the narrow door, Faithfulness to the kingdom of God requires vigilance, intention, accountability. Strive to enter through the narrow door. In this sense, Jesus is raising the bar, so to speak. He's challenging you and me to step up our game, to live a life worthy of the calling to which we're called. Don't let yourself be led astray. Don't take the easy way out. Don't just stand there on the sideline. Take the road less traveled. Be exceptional. Make a difference in the world. 
The word strive or make every effort is literally to agonize, agonize to enter through the narrow door. Put your back into it. Work up a sweat. Press on to attain the prize. Now, this narrow door is not permission for narrow-mindedness. Over the centuries, sometimes this image of the narrow door has become religious shorthand for, for judging others, for creating litmus tests, for enforcing stricter admission standards for other people, for making salvation about who's in and who's out. And then you take this narrow door idea and you pair it with the slippery slope idea and, so, because, and then we use it to justify, well, if we allow such and such behavior or group of people, then we're making it too easy. Uh, we're, we're not entering through the narrow gate and we're susceptible to compromising our standards in increasingly egregious ways, that slippery slope. I mean, if we just let everybody in, if we just spend all of our time encouraging and helping each other enter the narrow door instead of telling them they're going to hell, I mean, what would that be like? No, the main thing to understand here <laughs> is that the ability to strive to enter through the narrow door is the result of salvation, not the means to it. That Jesus is calling me to enter through the narrow door, not to give me some justification for explaining why somebody else is not <laughs> up to the task. So let me say it again. The call to Christ-likeness, the call to enter through the narrow door, is a response to and a result of salvation, not a means to it or prerequisite for it. Paul can only press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has already taken a hold of him. He can only conform his life to the image of the one who saves him, to live into the kingdom of God which God has brought about into being. God has salvation covered. Saving people is not our job. Our job is actually to try to figure out how to fix climate change or remedy systemic racism or how to fix the darn time on the DVD player. Strive to enter through the narrow door. You know, maybe we should even just take a look at the whole door metaphor. Imagine that Jesus is at the narrow door. And you can think about whether he's on this side or that side. It doesn't really matter. Knock and the door will be open, Jesus teaches. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is depicted as one who is knocking at the door of your heart. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, he says. And so open the door. Let Jesus into your heart. Enter through the narrow door. Or maybe Jesus is the door. After all, in the Gospel of John, he calls himself the gate for the sheep. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the very way by which one comes to the Father. That sounds like a door to me. That's how Jesus defines eternal life. It's knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ in whom and through whom God is revealed and salvation is granted. Salvation is knowing and being known by God. And that's the gist of, of the rest of what Jesus says in this parable, in this teaching at this press conference. He says there's going to be a time when the master of the house will get up and, the door and, and close the door. And after that time, people on the outside will start knocking and pleading, let us in. And the master will refuse to open the door. I don't know who you are or where you're coming from. 
They'll argue back that, well, that's not technically true. After all, there was that one time that we were all together at that one dinner party and, and we attended several of your lectures after all. <clears throat> you all know what it's like to try to remember somebody or when someone's trying to jog your memory. Here the owner racks his brain trying to recall a single conversation or interaction. Finally, he just shakes his head. Nope, sorry, nothing rings a bell. I don't know who you are. And I suspect that you don't really know anything about me. You might know of me, but you certainly don't know me. And the door remains closed. And while this might seem a bit cold and heartless, it also makes sense. Because if folks are disinclined to spend time with God on this side of heaven, why should anything change on the other side? If you can't recognize God in your neighbors, how will you recognize God in heaven? So he says, away from me, you evildoers, you workers of unrighteousness. Away from me, you pretenders and hypocrites. And then you get that whole weeping and gnashing of teeth thing. Meanwhile, inside, the place starts rocking. The kingdom of God uh, starts to gather. It includes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all their wives and children and extended family rumbling, rumbling in. These are the Old Testament heroes, the chosen family of God, generations of cheaters and liars and thieves and idol worshipers and polygamists who nevertheless held on to God for dear life. He was their salvation, and now here they are. And then some of the Old Testament prophets show up, Elijah and Huldah, Deborah and Isaiah, Moses and Miriam. Their life as prophets, as, a, as voices for God, so many of them lived as outsiders, but now they're right at home in the kingdom of God. Not a single one of them had known or accepted Christ as their personal savior, and yet here they are because they trusted in the word and provision of God. And then Jesus says that people from the four corners of the earth are making their, their way into the kingdom too. It's reminiscent of John's vision in the book of Revelation, in which he says, there, there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And there, that's the key. Salvation belongs to our God. And God so loved the world that he gave his only son for us and for our salvation. Salvation is what God has accomplished. And that means that our job is not to save people any more than our job is to condemn people. That's all above our pay grade. So all that's left for us to do is to enter through the narrow door, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus who stands at the door and knocks. Follow me, he says. Walk in my footsteps. Do what I do. See others the way I see them. See yourself the way I see you. Not with judgment, but with salvation. This is the kingdom of God, the life you were meant for. So strive to enter through the narrow door, for I am the narrow door, the way, the truth, and the life. And you will know the truth the truth will know you, and the truth will set you free. This is the gospel of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. So three takeaways for you today. The first one is to trust. Trust that God loves you, that God has worked salvation for you. May you experience healing in body, mind, soul, relationship. Trust that God's forgiveness is for you and that nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Second thing, let go. Let go of the need to, to, to judge other people or to judge yourself. Let God handle the, sa- the saving. Let God handle the judging. Let go of past hurts and past fears. Let go of the need to prove anything to God or to anyone else. Trust God, let go, and then get going. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Let's see what we can do as the people of God to make a difference in the world. Let's follow in the footsteps of Jesus and use this one precious life that we've been given to make a difference, to serve, to love, to reveal glimpses of the kingdom of God to a world in need. Amen? Amen. We started this podcast with questions about salvation, eternal life, and getting in. And today, uh, God's word tells us that salvation belongs to God. Jesus is the door. Eternal life is knowing God and being known. Word tells us that the kingdom of God is more diverse and expansive than you or I could ever imagine or understand. And therefore, we have nothing better to do than pursue a relationship with God, to love and serve our neighbors, and thus pursue a life that is in step with Jesus, the Son of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks, Chaz, for your weekly help producing this podcast. Thank you, people of faith, for your partnership in the gospel. Our website, www.faithshelton.org, has resources to help you know Christ and make Christ known, for growing closer to and more like Jesus, and for ways that you can connect with the larger faith community. Hope you'll sign up for our weekly emails, like us on Facebook, make a financial donation to faith, subscribe to this We'll Preach for Food podcast. Hope this uh, podcast has been a blessing to you. I hope it brings honor and glory to God. And I'm going to leave you today with a, a word from the Apostle Paul. Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 4. Paul says this, If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. (laughs) Not that I've already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, 
forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm.